I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm Amy Frost and my guest today is Amanda Renoir. She's not only the owner of the VIP, the very important pad, which is a saddle pad used by top riders all over the country, but she also owns her own stud and has been chef to keep for the Irish dressage team. So she's got lots to talk to us about. I hope you enjoy listening to her journey. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I've been so excited about my guest today, somebody that I met quite a few years ago without realising how incredible she is in our industry. Her name is Amanda Renoir. And when I tell you some of the names that Amanda's worked with, she's worked with Sam Griffiths, she's worked with Roland Tong, Bert Sheffield. But more importantly, she was chef to keep for the Island team and the 2018 Equestrian Games, along with launching her own range of VIP saddle pads and having a stud I don't know how you have the time Amanda how are you I drink a lot of coffee (laughs) I thought you were going to say something else then I I drink a lot of gin (laughs) Uh, no caffeine is my mantra I gave it up once for Lent never ever do that ever again (laughs) It's so nice to speak to you. Thank you for joining us on the Horse Hour podcast. We were trying to work out the last time that we actually spoke to each other. It was randomly, wasn't it, during the Rio 2000 and, oh gosh, what was it? 2015 Olympics? Was it 2016 Olympics? I can't keep up. 2016 games. um, And I think I wanted some photographs of Sam Griffiths, but also of my husband, who was the equestrian manager for Rio. And he's one of these people that you never, ever see at these things. He makes competitions and shows and events happen, but he's very sneaky and is never seen in front of a camera. (laughs) I think you failed on that one. Oh, did I not manage to get a photo? No, because we had a photographer. I was so excited that year. It was the first year that we'd actually had a photographer at an Olympics. Um, And and Stephen, your husband, he, so let's explain what he does. He's an international event planning and uh, and management consultant. So uh, it's just incredible that this man can create so many amazing events um, working all over the world. But how do you cope? Because it means that he's away all the time perfect relationship Uh, (laughs) no to be to be fair it's always been the same uh we've been married 23 years and um yeah we we do see a lot of each other when we're you know because I'm actually looking at his desk right now and uh when we're at home we do work together a lot it's just just life 
It is. And I guess uh, my husband works away as well. And I love the fact that he's yeah. home when, when he's home. But it is quite all all consuming, isn't it? Especially if you have the same kind of career in that you're both in the equestrian industry. So he's just, I mean, we're talking small level. I've only just managed to allow him to hay the horses by himself now. Um, but, you know, he enjoys the horses. And so that means that we are together a lot. Um, but it, are there elements, I feel that there's a lot of crossover sometimes with learning each other's craft. Um, and so do you find that you benefit from from some of his experience? Because he's a, an FEI course designer on top of you know in uh, creating these huge events I think the biggest thing that I've learned with Stephen is attention to detail and it's amazing his attention to detail and its capacity for seeing a bigger picture is something that is very instinctive for him and I've had to learn but we often talk I mean with what I do and we often talk about collaboration and from a organizer's perspective what he's expecting from sponsorship and what he's expecting from athletes and so it's always very useful I get I get a a good insight from what he's expecting so together then you're a, a pretty dynamic duo you have the ARPR and marketing solutions company um which I'm presuming is when you're working with people like Sam Griffiths and you're helping people to biz brands and businesses to to get sponsorship um but then uh, at the other there's other times um the rest of the time you also have a stud so how did that come about <laughs> well I'm actually phoning right now from my stud in France. We live in France. We've been here 11 years. I'm at, our offices are a converted goat barn. <laughs> yes, literally. It's a it's a a, work, a labor of love. This place. I'm looking at where our vineyard was. It's not a vineyard now. We ripped it out because the wine tasted terrible. Um, <laughs> and. Um, about 10 years ago, we'd been here for a while and a very good friend of mine decided to move to Australia for lots of reasons. And so I took over all of her horses and uh, all of the horses included five very lovely brood mares. And mm. it sort of developed from there. And I think with only having five brood mares, uh, we can manage that ourselves with sort of half a person a week who also comes in and helps oh goodness it sounds like a dream it sounds very uh romantic in you know you're in france and it's beautiful you're in a vineyard but i know the reality of having a foal because i have a yearling and oh my goodness it's hell <laughs> yes <laughs> um, it's not hell i think you <laughs> It is if you have my colts. So maybe if you have wonderful broodmares that are good and they, they pop out some lovely angelic horses. But I literally have the devil. And I had this wonderful idea that I was going to have a stud at some point. And now I've decided, no, I'm going to leave it to the experts because my little monkey is that exactly that, is um, is a very tricky colt. <laughs> oh, well, I think you can't. I think the thing is that a lot of them, when they are yearlings, they can be quite mischievous but you know that once you get them under saddle they're going to be really good and then equally the really quiet ones as yearlings they can be really naughty when you first put them under saddle they're just characters and I think the more you have and the more you breed the more you can read how they're going to be later on in life mm. which is quite sweet yeah 
Ah, it's, they're like children, really, aren't they? You never know what you're going to get. They are my children, <laughs> my fur babies, my little fur babies. Um, yes, it is a very romantic notion of what we're doing, but the reality is we work 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm. And yes, we don't have a bad commute because it's here. It's currently lovely and sunny, and I'm in the middle of nowhere miles from anybody else and I love that love that opportunity and we have wonderful countryside but it is very hard I think always having animals is very hard and also you get the sad opportunities the sad bits as well as the good bits yeah and it's a lot of pressure as well I think you know after having the horses at home I realize how much I'm thinking about them 24 7 you can't really shut that off um whereas when I would visit them um, in, in an awful kind of way, it would pop them in a box and I'd concentrate on work and, and that was it. But when you're living in that environment and when you're breeding and, you know, your whole life is horses and equestrianism, it, with animals particularly, I think you do become pretty obsessed, but in a good way. Yeah, you do become obsessed. Oh my goodness, look, there's a rain cloud. Oh my goodness, <laughs> there's a bit of sun. Uh, yeah. Uh, and here we have additional things like ticks, snakes, uh, hornets, and uh, Frelon Asiatic, which are the really big uh, monster hornets. So you then panic about all of, all of those things as well. But having been here 11 years now, I'm a bit calmer. Oh, the other delicious thing that we have here are Songlier, which is the wild pigs. Oh, no. And we see them charging across the field sometimes, which are quite exciting. So is it true, Amanda, this is a, a myth I heard quite a long time ago, that um, that horses are afraid of the pigs because of the warthogs from years ago used to eat the horses? So naturally, their natural instinct is to run away from them. <laughs> um, I don't know. To be fair to the wild boar oh, in that's it. Is, that, is, a war, is a warthog a wild boar or is that just something well, from I the Lion King? So they kind of look. <laughs> <laughs> possibly still from the liking but they they are they can be big um i have been out hacking with my son on his little 11 hand pony and the wild boar when they're fully grown are not much smaller than the 11 hand pony <gasps> equally the the little piglets look like little black staffordshire terriers so they're super <laughs> cute but i don't think the horses are scared of them they seem to be more scared of us but it's the smell when you ride through a forest and the scent is there then our horses quite often are on their toes mm. and we're really lucky here because we breed dressage horses but we have completely off-road hacking so once we've backed everything they all go hacking and they're tractor proof and combine harvester proof but they've never seen a car in their life wow or and a human being. do you do you back them yourself or, or do you have somebody that does that for well, you well i do back them myself but you have to remember that those foals when they were born i'm the first human being they saw i'm the first person that put their head collar on i've the first person that picked their foot up i'm the first person that put a rug on them and I'm the first person that's done everything to them. So one day I put a bridle on them and I prepare them to be backed and I get on them and they usually go, okay, mum, hmm. that's fine. Hmm. Let's do that. I don't know that I'd want to get on somebody else's three-year-old <laughs> because the three-year-old has no relationship with me. Hmm. 
and I'm far too old to get broken. <laughs> no, well, yeah, that's the fear, isn't it? I think once we start having children, we get a bit older. We think, oh, gosh, we've got too many responsibilities yeah. to hurt ourselves. But it's interesting that you say about the relationship, you know, and I and I totally can understand that, that they've known you from, from well, the first day they were born. So they already have that relationship with yeah. you. But I feel that when we're looking at backing mm. horses, our whole, the whole it seems like the whole education process at the moment is how quickly can you get a relationship with a horse to be able to back it um which I'm not sure I entirely agree with I don't think you can get a relationship with a horse in two days to then back it by day number three you know it takes takes a long time to build that trust you might do it with one but you're not going to do it with the the next 10 that you find and it just very much depends on the horse. And I think I think there's a great saying about horses and time that you either wish you gave the horse time or you give him time. And that's, I think, the best, best bit of advice anybody can take when they, they first start with a horse. It's a little bit like I rescued a dachshund this weekend. It's a rescue dachshund. And he just needs time. He'll be fine, but he just needs me to ignore him for a few days, let him get comfortable in his, in this house. And then one day he'll say, hello, mum, mm. and that'll be it. And I think it's the same with horses. Mm. I sound really emotive there, don't I? No, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's lovely. No, I totally agree with you. Could I, could I take you back to the moment that you first had a foal uh, because I think that first experience is such a learning curve for us um, and particularly I'm talking about that because I'm going through it at the moment and I had um, my my troublesome cult I like to say that he's troublesome he's actually not he's a sweetie and he's really mischievous and I thought I had about three weeks ago I thought I had um, the worst possible cult yearling ever that was going to kill me and everybody around it because he'd become a little stat mini stallion um and so obviously I'm now looking at the time to get him gelded um but I have to wait for that for the vets to be able to come and do it so in the meantime um, I was quite surprised with how his mannerisms have changed in such a short period of time. So he went from being this lovely, calm, uh, relaxed cult to being a stallion every day, rearing, bucking, biting, kicking, wouldn't let anybody near him. And then within another two weeks, he's now back to being quite relaxed. So I'd like to go to take you back to when you had your first your first yearling or your first baby foal. Um, and, and what is it that you'd learned from that experience apart from everything because I know we learned so much but what really could you take away from that that now as an experienced breeder you would tell yourself then oh that's a really tricky one they need company and they need to learn from a horse and the first year I'm trying to remember I think I had three colts and a filly yeah I had three colts and a filly and the three colts I could have sold tickets instead of going to some weird people going to dog fighting, that awful thing. But they could come and watch my foals scrapping constantly <laughs> and me thinking that they were completely abnormal. And then you'd look at the fillies and the fillies would be calmly grazing and batting their eyelashes <laughs> and looking beautiful. And um, the boys, we ended up, uh, a friend of mine had a very old trotter and we put the old trotter, he didn't have shoes on, in with the delinquents. And he sorted them out. And he sorted them out by swearing at them, I promise you. <laughs> he just glared at them. 
And they all towed in line. They wouldn't drink until he gave them permission. They wouldn't lay down until he said it was okay. But equally, they did all three lie down and he stood over them and, you know, protected Mm. them. And they definitely need an older person to look after them and say, this is how you're going to behave. And it has to be a horse that tells them that. Mm. And the fillies are the same. I've got a filly now that's out with a pony and the pony's teaching that manners because it's a bit of a delinquent as well. There's only so much you can do and all you end up doing is you swear at it and you wave your arms and legs around and you just the horse just thinks, well, you're very unpleasant. I'm not going I'm going to remember this. Mm. You know, there's one thing you have to remember about horses is the reason they're so trainable is because they've got really good memories. They have to learn from horses certain things. And I would say manners, the very first stage of manners has to be taught by another horse. It is fascinating to watch. I mean, I've had times I've been tearing my hair out thinking, oh, why have I done this? Um, and then you have that that little moment where you think, oh, you are beautiful. <laughs> this is why, because actually <laughs> we are making progress. It's just, it is tiny, tiny, tiny steps. And fascinating to watch. You know, I'm, I, I had to take my, my bigger horse, who is very much the, well, he's almost, I think my foal thinks he's his mum. Even though he's a boy, he, he's got quite confused because his mother was also black. And um, so he imprinted on, on my black horse. Um, so he's very much led by, by Blackjack. And whilst the other horses in, in the field, he thinks that they're just playthings. You know, he'll bite their bottoms, he'll rip their rugs. He's mm. ripped so many head... <laughs> His new game is to see if he can get the fly mask off the other horse which he finds quite fun. Excellent. Mm. So we've had a few broken fly masks. But it was interesting. When I took Blackjack out, I had to take him out for a while because he didn't need that much grass. Um, and the, the cult just went, well, ran wild. He was like a teenager at home having a house party. Um, and the other horse just needed a break. So I put Blackjack back in there. And, and that was actually, it's interesting you say that because that was the time that um, he settled down again. And he said, oh, mum's home or dad's home. Yeah. You know, I've got to do what I'm told yeah. now. So, um, well, let's move on then, because you have had such an interesting career. How did you go from, um, you know, doing marketing and PR to becoming the chef to keep for the Irish team? Um, Or was it the other way around? Did you become (laughs) chef to keep first and then do marketing and PR? (laughs) No, I did marketing and PR. I originally worked for a company that I'm sure all of you have heard of called Dodson and Horrell. I was uh, a rep on the road driving a car and I drove all over the countryside mostly talking to some very lovely people and some very famous people. And with Stephen being a course designer, I was meeting some pretty smart athletes. And then suddenly a few of those people started asking me whether I would help them with some of their work, some of their social media that was starting. And I then went and worked for Denji and the sort of, PRE side of things was a bit of a hobby and a compliment to be talking to these famous people. And then one day I thought, hang on a minute, I can make a career out of this. And it means I can stay at home because working, you know, being a rep on the road, you do travel a lot. And eventually you do get very tired of being in a car 24-7. And so that's how it all started. And I also did quite a lot of PR for shows and a lot of sponsorship liaison for shows as well and then doing some PR for commercial enterprises and 
then really started to focus on athletes, athlete representation and, you know, getting the best for those guys so that when they go to some of their big competitions, that's all they have to worry about. And that's how that started. And the chef to keep for 2014 World Equestrian Games really came about because I saw an advert in Euro dressage or something like that. And it was literally a six week posting. It was a honorary position. And I just thought, oh, that looks quite fun. I could do that. And was really surprised when I got the job, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was really being a chef to keep especially when you're just talking to people, you know, you're meeting people for the very first time. It's just about managing their expectations and their experience at a competition. So you're making their life as easy as possible. It's not about saying to them, oh, when you get to X, you have to do this. And, you know, when you do this, you've got to go for 85%. It wasn't anything like that for the level that I was at. Um, And it was a very enjoyable thing to do. And I suddenly realized that, you know, I'd like to do it again. And I was very fortunate that I had the opportunity last year to work with the Irish squads again in a very similar similar role. I have a feeling, Amanda, that you're being extremely humble. And I should imagine that the role is probably a lot more intense <laughs> than you're telling us. <laughs> and because you are lovely and you won't tell us, you know, the truths about what you have actually done in your life. I can't believe it's taken me two years to get this out, this out of you. So, um... So, so t- tell me, you know, your day-to-day role when you took on the chef to keep role. What was it that you'd have to do? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Day-to-day, um... It would be a finding international Irish athletes, which was very interesting. And the wonderful thing about the Irish squads is their enthusiasm. And there is an awful lot of talent out there, um, just desperate to get out there. And a lot of the problem for the Irish has been that um, they've got two seas to cross to get to the international competitions a lot of the time so they're very resilient characters and I think 
it was a very interesting year where we were putting budgets together to um, take forward and to support those up and coming international athletes and also to give them confidence, even down to I went to one competition and I said, I'm really sorry, but you can't plat like that. It looks really wrong. This is how you have to plat and we need to change this and we need to change you know, just little presentation things, um, which for the very first time when you're going to an international competition, perhaps you wouldn't know, particularly if you haven't had the fortunate, you know, opportunity to go to the background side of things at a competition where you will see horses being platted and presented for trot-ups and for international competition. Well, exactly. There's no rule book, is there? It's not like somebody comes along and says, right, you've got to do this, 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 and this. Most of us walk around competitions feeling like school kids, completely confused. In fact, I relate it to my first day at university where I spent the whole time lost. And I think I only lasted three months at university because I was permanently lost. And I see the same (laughs) at competitions. It's it's just people, mums, kids, adults, horses, grooms, just looking lost all the time. And what you have to remember is when you go to your first international competition, an awful lot of people are taking their mums and their friends to groom for them and be Mm. drivers and stuff. They haven't got these wonderful professional grooms who will make these horses look absolutely amazing Mm. um and so it just helps when somebody says to them oh maybe you should do this or you know here's some show shine and put that on the horse and you'll find that the quarter markers look better and all that sort of stuff so it was a bigger role than making sure they got to that center line and halted at x and so did you have um a, a support team there to help you with that no, we were very small. We had a very small support team. We had a um, physiotherapist. We had a vet. Obviously, we've got team vets. And then, obviously, all the wonderful backup management team who were based at Horseball Island. So when you look at that then, you're, you're very kind, Amanda. You've been really honest. Thank you. When you look at the small team that the Irish team had, and then you look at how many competitors are doing incredibly well at the moment, like, um, oh, I hope I get to say his name right, Kyra O'Brien? Yeah, that, he's a, they're eventers. They have a bigger team. I just looked after the dressage. So the eventers are very successful in their own right, whereas for Ireland... They were emerging talent. And of course, there is no bigger emerging talent, well, not even emerging anymore, in Judy Reynolds, who has been at the forefront of international dressage. She's been to an Olympic. She's been to the, the last two World Games and, you know, lots of World Cups and things like that. And she's done fantastically well and is based in Germany, make, has made that sacrifice to go to Germany and, you know, get in there with the big boys and is Mm. certainly holding her own she's somebody who's you know has become an inspiration to so many athletes based in you know pony clubbers learning to do their walk trot tests and they're now thinking okay well maybe I want to do more than a walk trot test I want to go on pony teams I want to go on the under 25s and so you just need those couple of people that are going to inspire you and that's that was really exciting to be a little bit 
part of that. And Adler just love the fact what you know that you found a job <laughs> online and you thought, oh, I'm just going to go for it. How amazing! You know, obviously you've got the experience to back it up, um, but it just goes to show that you know you you sometimes you've just got to bite the bullet, haven't you, and just go for things. Well, if you don't ask, you don't get. My theory. It's always been the same. And things like being a chef to keep at the World Equestrian Games. Yeah, on paper there were some other people that perhaps are you know definitely more qualified than me but you need to be a people person you need to be able to organize and you need to know the rules and you do need to know how international competitions work and now luckily for me uh, having had you know having been married to Stephen all this time I do know how international competitions tick Mm. and so that that was a big advantage for me so that when I got to these big competitions I wasn't like oh my goodness what do I do now Mm. at least that part was that was the easy bit because I knew about that it was the (laughs) and if not you could phone them up and say right Stephen come down here now how do we change this you know I've cooked the dinner I've fed your children and I've got ironed your clothes the least you could do is tell me how this works (laughs) yep Definitely. I've thought of your next role, Amanda, as though you don't have enough to do already. But wouldn't it be amazing if you became an author now and wrote us all a book, a little handbook on um, on, on uh, competition etiquette, on what to do and what not to do? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You're could welcome. We, could we trademark that right now? Yeah, can I have 5% <laughs> of all fees, please? And I need a copy because, like I said, I never know what I'm doing. And people ask me, they expect me to know because of the podcast. And I say, well, no, I've got <laughs> got no idea (laughs) you know the the role you're doing you have to be a people person that's what it is Mm. okay so so what are you up to at the moment then how did you go because okay so we've had you've become chef to keep I mean you know in my view you can't get much higher than that really when you're you know working with people at the top of the profession um but I know that you do a lot Mm. of starters you know of people that are coming through at the beginning of their career as well don't you don't you offer a lot of support to those yeah, I have done. I have done in the past, and it's very much um, at that point. It's getting people to be able to afford to compete internationally, because the entry fees alone are very expensive, and then you've got all the travelling and everything else. And you do need to take a team with you to support you. It's very daunting going to those first competitions on your own, and so it's usually. A, getting somebody to go with a mentor. So, you know, finding a a very experienced athlete that that perhaps the younger person can travel with or meet with, etc. And that's a very, very important part of that. I say the most that I ever learned was um, when I'd go to competitions without horses, it was through horse hour, and I'd sit and watch the warm up arena and I'd just sit and look at the grooms and how they were getting ready. And and sometimes it's worth buying those tickets, taking your horse just so that you can get into those areas (laughs) because you can't get into them as just standard spectators. Whilst if you take a horse, you can and and just sit and watch and learn and take your friend with you who's your groom and, and, and just take it all on board because is um in an hour i learned more do you know what that's called what stealing with your eyes you steal all the tips the warm-up tips the preparation tips the dress code everything you can steal so much information (laughs) it's the best thing 
you'd never go and buy an expensive ticket to go and see a competition, get the slightly cheaper ticket to go and watch the warm up because you'll learn so much. So, um, so in that, in that, then uh, watching all this, being in this, these environments and, and seeing what's going on, is is that what led you then to creating your own saddle pad? Because quite often we're seeing in our industry particularly that there seems to be a, a standard strategic move that everybody makes it goes from owning your own horse to working in the industry to running your own yard to bringing out products competing you know there is a very similar um system i guess mm. um but the, the the market is completely inundated with products um it's not a great market at the moment with especially over here with brexit and you know the equestrian businesses are struggling so in all order to be really successful you've got to have an incredibly tight product that um that is working and and is is uh, better really than the other things that are on the market so how did you end up coming up with your vip pads which are saddle pads (laughs) (laughs) well i have a very good friend who i met at a livery yard who we've known each other or 25 years or so and literally uh, Tamara Huddleston is one of these brilliant brains who never stops thinking about the next thing she can invent. And at the time, she was riding on her horse, Mr. Quintus. She was using this wheelchair pad that was put on, on wheelchairs for quadriplegic people, uh, people who couldn't move, people with pressure sores, all this sort of thing. We never really thought about it. I just thought Tamara was slightly mad <laughs> using this bizarre thing. Sort of roll forward a few years and we get talking and, and we were saying about, you know, these beautiful saddles that are all close contact, beautifully fitted, people spending a fortune on them and then shoving huge half pads underneath that were a couple of inches thick, really bulky, really heavy, um, didn't wash well, blah, blah, blah. And she, Tamara said to me, what about that wheelchair pad? That was an amazing thing. So we literally rifled around in the attic, found it, realized where the gel came from. And we phoned up the manufacturer and said, we want to come and see you. So we flew out and we bought the rights to the, the equestrian product. And that's how we developed the pad we didn't want it to be too heavy and the wheelchair pad was quite heavy. So that's why we did the bobbles, cleared the gullets. We made a nice shape and we've deliberately made it very unsexy. It doesn't have any seams. It doesn't have any fluffy pads. The black one, we all say looks a bit like a bin liner because it's just black and shiny. <laughs> the gold one is a bit like nude underwear. You know which you wear under your white shirt. Mm. It's, it molds. You can't ever see it. So if you put it with a blue uh, blue saddle cloth, it sort of takes that colour. And then we have a bright blue one as well for people who like matchy-matchy. And that's how the product evolved. It was just a really simple idea, but with a, a gel quality that has impact protection qualities and doesn't alter saddle fit because it's so thin. And it's a really simple product that... You know, on its own looks very odd but you know you put it under a saddle and it really works um i think all horses need a well my horses certainly need a little bit of protection from um from my 
bottom hitting up and down too much um but i do have a question to ask about looking if, if you'd like if you're listening and you'd like more information then head to vip-equestrian.com and you can see pictures and things so amanda how so if i want to use this then how would you wear this would you wear this um by itself would you wear it with another numner what we tend to recommend is you put your saddle cloth down on the horse's back you then put the vip bobbles down smooth side towards the saddle and then you pop the saddle on top and you'll find it doesn't alter saddle fit and we we're not advocating that if you have a saddle that's not fitting that you use a vip it's not going to it's not going to cure badly fitting saddles but equally if you have a beautiful very expensive perfectly fitting saddle all it's going to do is add an additional impact protection and sheer force protection so when I say by sheer force, if you think of where the, the tree of the saddle is and what your stirrup bars are attached to, when you're jumping or doing rising trot, all of your weight is, goes to the stirrup bars. So you have two little areas on either side of the horse's wither that can get quite tender. And with the VIP, that impact protection of you doing just rising trot, never mind doing a six foot drop or jumping a hedge or something. Um, it just helps to protect from the impact of your body weight going up and down. Mm. It's interesting because Lara Edwards uses your product, doesn't she? She uses the VIP pad and she says prior to the pad being available, she used to use sheepskin underneath the saddle, um, but his skin was really sensitive. So pads would rub. Uh, but by using this, the rubbing's gone, which is amazing, and the saddle doesn't slip forward. Yeah. And so because the saddle doesn't slip forward, she's then finding that Felix is much looser through his shoulders, which is um, a, a problem that I hear a lot is is not only, like you said, it's not going to fix poorly fitted saddles. And we, we like to presume that most horses have proper fitted saddles. But um, but we we do I do hear a lot that that horses are struggling to move their shoulders freely to get a big extended trot yeah. or even a decent trot. So it's interesting that it helps with that. And if you go over to our Facebook page, our VIP a question Facebook page, there are lots of people who've sent us in videos of things such as horses with sarcoids where they've not been able to ride their horse. Now we've never even thought about this, but. When you do a pinch test on a horse's neck to see if the horse is dehydrated, you know, we all, we all do it. We grab hold of the horse's skin and just see how that moves. But when you do that test, you, you can feel the thickness of that skin. Now, that is basically the same width, uh, the depth as the horse, as a VIP. Now, um, with the, the horse with the sarcoids, they put the VIP on and it's sort of mimicked best way to describe it is it's mimicked like a layer of skin over that sarcoid issue and the lady has been able to continue to ride the horse whilst that sarcoid has been treated and also horses with some sores sorts of thing it's really really helped and it's all been people totally unprompted that sent sent us their via uh, their videos which has hmm. been lovely well the great news is you've been so kind you're going to provide us with a vip equestrian pad which you can win if you're listening today 
It's really easy to get involved. Just head to our Facebook page and there's a post there which uh, you have to comment with a picture of your horse and um, like and tell everyone about VIP saddle pads because we think they're amazing and we would love you to have a chance of winning one. So head over to at Horse Hour and also, Amanda, what is your Facebook page called? VIP question. Perfect. And then are you on Twitter and um, Instagram as well? We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Yes, we are. Amazing. So follow all the, follow all the ads. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> and follow uh, us. There is a crazy video that Tamara put up, which was the biscuit challenge where we wrapped a biscuit in a VIP and then we drove over it with a car. And we've just done another one with a bottle of whiskey. Really? Yes. Did it crack? Nope. Nothing. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I ridiculously I'm thinking about all these things that I can pop in a pad now to drive over to see if it works like (laughs) and goodness me Mara's had great fun she's brilliant to all that sort of thing I I use one in my I have a 25 year old Land Rover which I drive around the farm and I have a VIP Mm. that because the seat's not very comfortable and I sit on it I sit on a VIP there you go amazing Oh, gosh. Right. Okay. I need some of these then. So how can I, if I don't want to wait for the competition, how can I actually buy one? Just head on to the website or from your local stockist. Okay. So we can head to your website and buy on there. Great. Well, thank you very much. From your point of view then, you're in France, you've got this study, you've got a lot going on and you've got children as well. I mean, are you you going to rest at any point, Amanda, or (laughs) are you enjoying this far too much? I love my life. I I don't have very, I, I don't, have a huge amount of money or anything like that but I have a very rich life and I'm very happy and I don't feel like I need a holiday I'm very happy Mm. here you are lucky everything that we aspire to to be so um I'm going to get going and start working really hard so that I can buy my little shack in France and turn my caravan (laughs) into a (laughs) a beautiful home um it, it's been a, it's been such a pleasure talking to you amanda thank you so much for joining us today you you you've kindly you're part of our new facebook group um horse hour horse chat um i set that up because i i just got so annoyed with being bullied and intimidated by admins on all these ridiculous social media groups that we've got that I thought I'm just going to make one actual friendly group where people support each other rather than trying to insult each other and tell them how awful they are Um, and we try to provide a little bit of education as well and advice and people can buy and sell so have a look at horse hour dash horse chat and you kindly post things in there sometimes so we get to learn from you all the time which is lovely so thank you Thank you so much. I'm very honoured to have been asked. It's been a, been a very entertaining hour. <laughs> <laughs> Bit random, nothing like you expected. All of the above, yes. <laughs> well, have a really great day. Um, thank you for joining us and uh, we hope to catch you again very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast, just head to our website, horsehour.co.uk. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just use the normal hashtag, hashtag Horse Hour or at Horse Hour. I hope you've been having fun with your horse. Do keep sharing pictures of your journeys and your stories and your videos of what you've been up to. I'd like to say a special hello to Miranda this week because she has been keeping me entertained with her pictures of her new baby horses. Uh, One's called Maya and um, she's out of Jaguar's male, which is super exciting. So massive congratulations. 
And to all of you who have had foals over the last few weeks, oh, I'm so, so pleased with you. It's just super exciting. And I can't wait to see all your photos. So please share them with me at Horse Hour. I'm at Amy Stevenson one on Twitter and, um, oh gosh, Amy Frost Photos on Instagram. And you can get me on Facebook as well. So um, just use hashtag Horse Hour. And what have you been up to if you don't have foals? Have you managed to get out and get some riding time in? Have you been on any hacks? There's lots of people that are doing some hacks for charity at the moment. So massive hats off to you. Do let us know what charities you're raising money for too. Because if we can help be involved in that and we can all maybe donate each donate a pound to everybody who's doing a hackathon maybe if you're doing a hackathon you could donate to somebody else's a pound and and you know vice versa we can keep paying this forward if we all support each other we can raise more money and enjoy some more time in the saddle i hope you have a really great week with your horse thank you so much for listening to me ramble on on the horse hour podcast i'll speak to you soon Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.